Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are, whether that's in Philadelphia, Hoboken, New Jersey or Ghent in Belgium. And if you're a new listener to the show, special warm welcome to you. Glad to have you here and I really appreciate it. And of course, if you're a returning listener, welcome back and thanks for sticking with me on this podcast adventure. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Mike from LEN.edu. I got in touch with his colleague Nate last year who wrote a guest post for the blog on refinancing one's mortgage and I also met both Nate and Mike at FinCon last year. LEN.edu is a company that launched in August of 2014 and is an online marketplace for a variety of financial products, including mortgages, student loans, insurances, and so on. Although most of their website visitors are looking for information on student loans, their blog articles are pretty informative as well, so make sure you check them out. Mike is coming on the show today to discuss market trends on student loans, mortgages, and the booming pet insurance industry. Yeah, I was surprised as well. We will also discuss refinancing your student loan, including a few helpful repayment strategies and mortgages. We will also touch upon Mike's career choice of working for LendyDU, which is a startup instead of a larger corporation. This episode is for you if you're looking at refinancing your student loan or mortgage, and if you're curious about what it looks like to work for a startup. And yeah, just before we, we head on to the show, I get it, huh? the student loan the student loan part of this episode will luckily not apply for us here in Europe, but there are definitely some uh, parallels to be made with mortgages, which we are more familiar with here, and so that's why I, I still thought uh, it would be interesting to have Mike on the show. Anyway, without further ado, let's hear the interview. Hello, Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Joni, thanks for having me on. Excellent, excellent. And uh, yeah, so... Um, for the listeners, I invited Mike Brown from LendEDU uh, because today we're going to talk about um, what LendEDU does, and it's connected to student, I mean, to loans and insurance and comparing those. It is a U.S. service, but still, I think there's a lot of uh, comparisons and parallels to be made with the services uh, in Europe, and so that's why I invited Mike Brown. My, Mike Brown is a a uh, research analyst. Uh, so, Mike, uh, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit more about Lend Edu and what what you're doing at Lend Edu? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, Lend Edu was founded as a startup in 2014, as a site where, if you were looking to refinance your student loans, you could come to one site, and we could try to match you up with the best student loan refinance lender based on your specific financial circumstances. Mm -hmm. And it only started with two guys um, at the University of Delaware, and it's since grown to a more than 10-person company. Um, we are located in Hoboken, New Jersey, right outside New York City. And what we do is uh, that student loan refinancing objective is still one of our core company goals in that uh, we try to help people find the best student loan refinance lender based on their specific situation. So if you were looking to refinance your student loans, rather than go to 10 different student loan companies, um, you can just come to our site and enter in some basic personal information like um, your income and your major and how much student loan debt you have. And then we would try to point you in the direction of the best student loan refinance lender. So we still do that and it's still at the core of our business, but we've since branched out 
into other verticals, including insurance, uh, specifically pet insurance, mortgages, credit cards, home equity loans, uh, personal loans, all different types of financial products. And I think the best way that I like to compare ourselves is to a um, Expedia or like one of those travel vacation booking websites where mm-hmm. you go in, you let them know, you know, where you want to travel to, whether that be Rome or an island or um, South Korea or whatever. You go in and then you enter in, you know, what days you want to fly, what kind of hotel you want to stay at, and Expedia or um, there's a couple other a kayak. They'll match you up with, you know, the best flight the best airline, the best hotel for you to stay at. So we kind of do that, but for financial products. Mm-hmm. And is that um, because, you know, back in the days, um, I went to a few mortgage brokers. I mean, they're not banks, but then they say, look, uh, you're at bank A. Uh, I will put you in contact with bank B. Or do you just say, look, bank B has a nice product. Go talk to them. Or are you a middleman or not? Yeah, I mean, we are a middleman, mm-hmm. but we don't really try to point Um, any consumer in a certain direction of one company because um, that's really based on their financial circumstances and what they're looking for in a company. What we try to do is really present the um, companies for the consumer with objective analysis about each company and then allow them to make the best decision in their mind based on you know what their circumstances entail. But yeah, I mean, we are a middleman to to a degree. Okay, and Because, you know, I, I went to this kind of companies for uh, my mortgage, my own mortgage, and it's quite good, you know, and then you, you need to go to the office, but you said you were only 10 and you cover student loans, mortgages, pet uh, insurance, etc. So it's quite a, a big portfolio. So how, how do you manage? Is everything online then? You, you never meet people face to face? Yeah, everything is done through our website, mm-hmm. uh, lendedu.com. There's never, ever... Um, any face-to-face meetings or one-on-one conversations with con- uh, customers. Actually, one time we actually had a woman uh, walk into our office trying to get a like one-on-one consultation, and we had to let her know that we don't really do that. Um, but yeah, everything we do is online. Okay. Um, you can just go to our website and take it from there. Okay, I see, I see. Yeah, and, and I've been browsing your website, of course, uh, because I was in contact with uh, Nate, uh, your colleague, And um, he also wrote, wrote a piece, a guest post on the, um, on the blog about should you refinance your mortgage. And I think that's quite an interesting topic to discuss. And um, because you're in the U.S., I don't know which type of loans um, you deal the most with. Uh, do visitors mostly come for student loans or mortgages or which type of, uh, yeah, what do they consult you for? What do the visitors consult you for? Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest chunk of our business and what users are really coming to our site is for student loans, um, not only because we started as a student loan company, and that's kind of where our brand lies, but because student loan debt has become such a huge issue in the United States. Um, there's almost 50 million borrowers in the U.S., and the outstanding student loan debt total is $1.64 trillion. So it's the second largest class of consumer debt behind mortgages. And um, it's a continuing surge of students looking for student loans because the cost of higher education has continued to gone up, mm-hmm. which means that more people need to take on student loans. So, yeah, I think we definitely get the most traffic to our website from people that are looking for student loans or to refinance their student loans or just general information on student loans. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 
just because you know I'm from Europe and I, I get it that uh, education is is expensive in the U.S. I mean higher education. So yeah, Mike, how come uh, yeah education is getting so expensive and people are getting in debt with the more than six figures um, student loan debt? Yeah, so I mean we've had people come to our site with six figures worth of debt. Um, 150,000, 200,000. And then if you do get people that have gone to uh, medical school or law school, it can easily get up to half a million dollars worth of debt. And I mean, I've written extensively on, you know, what are the problems with higher education and student loan debt in the United States. And I think a big issue is that the uh, colleges themselves, there's really no system in place to regulate what they can charge for tuition. Um, they can kind of just raise tuition as they see fit or even lower tuition, but that rarely happens. Mm -hmm. So um, there's no system of accountability or anything. So these colleges, if you're like, let's say if you're uh, one college and you see one of your com com uh, competing colleges raise tuition for the next year by $10,000, I don't know, then they see, you know, there's no reason for us to not raise it to $10,000 as well. So I think that's a big issue in that mm -hmm. the colleges have kind of been able to do as they please and they're kind of operating their campuses like businesses where, you know, the bottom line is the biggest goal in trying to bring in the most profit. And a result of this is raising, uh, raising tuition at their schools, which then leads to student loan debt. So, I mean, it's being discussed how this problem can, can get fixed. I mean, we have people saying they can just forgive $1.6 trillion in student loan debt. And then one th uh, potential solution that I find interesting is that to hold these colleges accountable for the price of tuition and rising student loan debt is that if a given, if a certain college shows a history of very high student loan debt, then make that college accountable by making them help repay students that went there, help repay their student loan debt with them. So then maybe these colleges wouldn't be as ready to raise tuition the crazy amount. So I think that's a pretty practical solution that we may see implemented, but I'm still skeptical. Um, yeah, 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 because it's only got. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I think it's um, yeah. I think it's a bigger issue that goes far beyond the scope of the of this interview and the podcast. I think there's politics. Yeah. There's a lot of things involved. Uh, yeah. But you know, to us, it still seems strange. So I just wanted to ask, and uh, it makes the most of your traffic, as you said. You know. So, uh, Mike. So you have those students coming to you to your website. They look for a better student loans. What tips uh, do you have for them? You know, let's say I have $80,000 of student loans and I want it cheaper. What would you advise me or what would you recommend? Yeah, I think probably if you have that much student loan debt, one of the things that I would recommend is refinancing your student loans. Mm -hmm. But I would only recommend that if the situation for you is right. So when you refinance your student loans, you go to a lender And, um, you, you know, you present your situation to them, like your debt, how much student loan debt you have, how much money you're making, um, what your degree was and all that. And then they can base their interest rate that they'll charge you on the refinance loans based on all of that. Um, so really based on your personal finance situation. So there's times when student loan refinancing can actually be bad for you. And I would really only recommend it if you are in a good financial situation. So one of the things I like, I would never recommend refinancing your student loans right after you graduate college because you probably don't have a very high income. You have little to no credit history. And, um, you know, there's a good chance you don't even have a job yet or a high paying job at that. So in the eyes of lenders, you don't look like a great proposition for them. 
So they're not going to give you the most favorable interest rate, the most favorable repayment terms. My recommendation is to wait a couple of years, build up some income, you know, get a, a good high paying job or build up your resume and develop some credit history, whether that be through paying rent or paying credit card bills, and then look to refinance because then you might be able to secure a low interest rate and favorable repayment terms. But yeah, in terms of, you know, suggestions for me, I think refinancing is always a good thing to look at. And then um, in the United States, at least, we do have some student loan forgiveness programs where if you enter into certain professions like uh, being a teacher or a cop or fire department or a social worker, if you show a history of student loan repayment for about 10 years, they sometimes will forgive the rest of your student loan debt if you are in one of those professions. Yeah, I see. I see. Okay, but that's uh, okay. That's quite good to to know. And um, yeah, very good. Do you see some people making um, mistakes as well when contracting a, a student? I mean, um, yeah, a student loan contract. What are the mistakes? The, the things to look out for before signing up for um, such a loan? Right. Um, I think the the biggest thing is to just read the fine print. And make sure you fully understand what interest rate you're getting charged, if it's a variable or a fixed interest rate, how many years you have to repay the loan, so the repayment length, and just general terms that you might miss um, by not you know, going through the contract that you're about to sign. And then for students, I think also another big thing is you know, look into your options before you automatically turn to student loans. Um, there are plenty of scholarships to be had whether they be offered by the school or the federal government or state governments, there are scholarships that you might be able to win. And then that automatically, you know, cuts your tuition bill mm -hmm. by however much. And then there's uh, grants that government will, will offer to you. Um, grants are a lot like student loans, except they don't need to be paid back. It's rewarded financial aid. So that's another option to look into. And then if you have parents, um, there's also a thing that's called parent plus loans. And what this means is that the parent is actually taking out the student loan for you and you don't have to worry about repaying it, but your parent does. Um, and usually you can get these at a pretty favorable interest rate because parents are, for the most part, you know, they have good credit scores and a healthy income. So the, those three options, you know, I would always look at those before you right away go to student loans. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a question to you, Mike, did you contract the student loan um yourself or uh, are you still in uh, repaying it or anything yeah so i actually had to take on some student loan debt to attend college mm -hmm. and when i graduated which was four years ago i had thirty thousand dollars in student loan debt and i've been consistently consistently repaying that since i graduated college and i'm down to about i have my remaining balance is like $12,000. So I'm hoping to be fully repaid within the next three years, maybe. But um, yeah, I've just been chipping away at it steadily. And I actually haven't refinanced yet. And I'm kind of going off what I had said earlier is because I'm really waiting till I can get the optimal repayment terms to refinance. And hopefully once I refinance, then I'll be looking at just a year or two more of uh, repaying the student loans. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I see. And because it's quite a burden, actually, to, to start your career, you're done, you're, you're happy, you graduated, and then you have <laughs> a 30,000 to pay. So that's, uh, 
Yeah, it's quite a pain. I mean, when I finished, and I think a lot of people in Europe, they, when they when they start uh, their career, they have zero in debt because either it's affordable or either they don't have much. You know, like so, it's quite uh, it's quite good. And then, um, just uh, wondering about yourself because you said, yeah, we'll look at refinancing maybe a bit later. But are you trying to pay it faster in any way, or saving up, or uh, trying to pay more than the minimal balance? Um, so I do pay more than the minimum balance, mm-hmm. um, and we actually have at LendEDU we actually have a employee benefit that has it's starting to become a popular employee benefit across the country because student loan debt has gotten so bad and because so many young Americans have it. We have an employee benefit where LendEDU also contributes two hundred dollars each month towards my student loan debt. So when I couple my payment with the company payment. I'm attacking the student loan debt pretty aggressively, and I think it's working out so far. But uh, yeah, that benefit really helps me a lot, and it's something that we're starting to see a lot in the United States um, because the situation has gotten so bad. It's an excellent initiative, and it's it's quite great as an employee to be able to do that. So not very good. And uh, Mike, of course, uh, I mean, here in Europe, we we don't have the student loan debt, but I, I just want to make parallels with um, with mortgage loans because... Okay, it's your second uh, source of traffic, uh, as I understood. So what do you have to say there? I mean, what are the, um, the current trends on uh, mortgage, mortgages in the, in the U.S.? And, uh, you know, are, are people taking then mortgages later in life than because of the student loan debts? Or, uh, or uh, yeah, how, how do people contract a mortgage loan while they have student loan debt? How does that work? Yeah, so I mean... Right now, as I had said, uh, outstanding student loan debt is at like $1.64 trillion, mm-hmm. and there's only one class of debt that's more than that, and that is mortgage debt. And it's a lot more than $1.64 trillion, but not quite around the um, $10 trillion amount in outstanding uh, mortgage debt that had actually triggered the recession back in 2008. Um, that was all started by outstanding mortgage debt and um too many people were getting mortgages and, <laughs> right and they weren't sure if they'd be able to repay it so i think we've come a long way since then and right now the the mortgage lending environment is pretty strong um interest ra- interest rates across the board are quite low in the united states and i think that's true for a lot of financial products here um the The Federal Reserve has kept the interest rates interest rates low to protect against, you know, any economic downfall. So the lending environment's pretty good, and it's really a vertical for us that has been surging quite a lot lately, um, especially in ter- home equity loans, which are a little bit different than mortgages. Um, and then to your other question about like how student loan debt is impacting mortgage debt, what we're seeing is that a lot of younger Americans, mainly millennials. They're waiting longer to become home buyers, um, whether this means they're living with their parents or they're renting before buying for a longer period of time. We are seeing that. And a lot of that can be attributed to, you know, how many young Americans have student loan debt and they have to commit a couple hundred dollars at least each month for student loan debt. So they don't have enough money to make, you know, take out a mortgage and meet the monthly payments. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a correlation there. And one is definitely impacting the other. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, for mortgages, do you have any specific 
advice or, or things to look out for? A bit a similar question as I asked for student loans. Just, I would say that you said, uh, yeah, just look at the terms of your contract, uh, fixed and variable rents, uh, rates, sorry. Uh, any, any other things that come to mind when talking about mortgages? Yeah. Um, so same thing with, you know, I always want to look at the fine print of any contractor ever signing. And then in a lot of the same vein as, you know, before taking out a student loan, you want to make sure that you're in a good financial situation because that's the best way to ensure you're going to get a favorable interest rate and favorable repayment terms, um, that you have a healthy credit score and a healthy income and a stable job. So, you know, you want to make sure you have all that. Otherwise, you might not get a great mortgage deal. Mm-hmm. And then another thing to look at uh, when you're looking at mortgages is to look at, you know, as an investor almost kind of evaluate what the potential value is of a home that you're looking to take out a mortgage on. So is this property's value going to go up um, over time and eventually by the time I maybe want to sell the house and perhaps turn a profit? So things that contribute to your property's value going up is the local education system, you know, high school, elementary school, um, crime rates. Is there a lot of crime in the area? Um, So those are all things that you also want to consider and it's going to, have an impact on what the value of your home is and you want to get in on a home where the value is only going to go up and because if it ends up going down then you could find yourself in a pretty pretty big financial hole by the end of it yeah i see and then i I read uh, an interesting piece because on your website it's not only about comparing uh, insurances and mortgages it's also i mean there's a blog part to it and there was a an article about mortgages 15 versus 30 years uh, mortgages which one should you pick which one should you choose and which one is right for you should i take then a, a 15 year mortgage or 30 year mortgage for who for whom is uh, which <laughs> yeah i think so i think really one of the main instances where a 30 year mortgage is going to be good for you is if you are in that if you're in that commitment for the long haul, meaning that you don't have any intentions of leaving the house that you're about to take a mortgage on, you want to stay there for a while, you know, have a family, um, raise them there. So that's good because then you have 30 years to repay the mortgage term and you might, the monthly payments might be lower. So I think if you're ready for a longer commitment at a given house, then a 30 year mortgage is good for you. Um, 30 year mortgages are also easier to qualify because you don't need to pay as much each month. So, um, it gives you a little bit more flexibility in that regards. Um, and then in the same boat, you know, if you don't have plans to stay at a house for very long, then a 30 year mortgage won't be good for you because then you're going to be in unnecessary debt, um, for longer than had you have taken out a 15 year mortgage. Um, so, If you are looking at more of a shorter commitment and you don't have intentions of staying at your home for multiple decades, then a 15-year mortgage is probably better for you. And oftentimes what we see is that the 15-year mortgages do have uh, lower interest rates. Sometimes it's than a 30-year mortgage. Um, so yeah, I would say it's really based on what you're thinking about in terms of your timeline and how long you want to stay at a house for. Yeah, your comment makes absolute sense. But you know, when if I'm, uh, let's say, uh, 28, 29, um, it's really hard for me to know if I will stay there forever, if I will not maybe move in three years, maybe I'll meet someone. 
and they will go to another state or city or even country. So it's very hard, you know. So so the, then in that case, you would say then try to go for the 15 years if your finances allow it then, for example. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, if you think you can be comfortable being a little bit more aggressive in the mortgage mm-hmm. repayment, then, yeah, I would think a 15-year mortgage would be the, the right option for you. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And in here as well, once I will ask you the same um, for mortgage loans. So any particular pitfalls that you see that you saw or that you have experienced or uh, with any of your customers? Um. So I mean, I don't really communicate with the uh, customers directly in mm-hmm. terms of uh, their mortgages. So I've never really heard um, personal instances of you know where they um have gotten into a bad financial situation but going off that i mean i think it works the same you know with any financial product um just understanding if you're going to be able to afford the mortgage and if you're going to be able to afford the monthly payments i mean you're going to be making monthly payments for um almost guaranteed more than a decade. So you need to be make sure that you're going to have enough money each month to afford those monthly payments while also yeah. affording everything else that life has a price on. So credit card bills or groceries or education. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, if you, if you're unable to afford your mortgage, you it can be a pretty, pretty slippery slope for you and your wage could get garnished. So, um, yeah, just really make sure that it's within your budget and you're, you'd be able to afford it. Yeah. Okay, okay. And then, you know, Mike, um, we've talked a bit before the show and you mentioned that pet insurance, it's uh, totally unrelated to the other ones, but it's something that you said, well, pet insurance is a big thing as well, is becoming a big thing as well. I was a bit surprised myself, but okay, I don't own a cat or a dog. <laughs> but I saw as well that in Europe, the, the market is um, about to double from 2019 to uh, 2024, 2025. It's going to double as well. So uh, I forgot the amount, but it's in billions as well. So it's something that's really coming up. And uh, since you mentioned it, I thought it would be just interesting to touch upon it uh, briefly. So can you tell us a little bit more about pet insurance, why that is? Is it worth it? And uh, yeah, what the market trends are that you observe? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, for us as a business, pet insurance has been one of our fastest growing verticals. And I think nationwide, it just has become a very big business. and the reason being is that, um, you know, you don't really, pets can be expensive, but you don't really think too much about how expensive they really can be. And this happens when your pet encounters a health problem mm-hmm. or uh, comes across an accident. Um, veterinarian bills can be very, very expensive. So I think what people are finding is that I'd rather pay, you know, the $10 a month for a pet insurance policy and then when something bad does ho- happen hopefully it doesn't then i'm covered and i don't need to break the bank or go into debt mm-hmm. as opposed to um you know not paying this ten dollars a month and then your dog needs a knee surgery costing thousands of dollars and you need to go into debt and it's become popular really with young americans and that's something that we've been seeing um because we've been seeing a lot of young americans go into debt because they ended up having to cover these costs for their pet surgery. Whereas if they just had had 
pet insurance, you know, they would have had to pay that monthly bill. But in the long run, if something does happen, you're going to be glad that you have it. And then in terms of, you know, national trends with pet insurance, uh, we saw in 2017, there was 2.1 million pets insured in the United States. And that's that was up. 17 percent from 2016 so it's definitely a booming um business and something that a lot of americans are inquiring about oh wow that's that's uh, quite impressive yeah i'm, I'm quite uh, i'm quite surprised but on the other hand it's a good trend because yeah i mean you have a dog i mean you want the best for 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 this dog and my parents had a dog and they uh, yeah i mean he was sick often at the end of its life so it it would have been nice to have uh, some of those costs covered as well Right. Yeah. So, um, cause eventually, you know, with old age, they might have some health problems and mm -hmm. like you said, it's nice having that security blanket. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Luckily it was not, uh, like uh, breaking, I mean, uh, bank breaking money, but uh, still, you know, like it's uh, a little bit here and there. And then should we go again? Oh yeah. He, he feels bad, but he's getting old. So yeah, at the end, uh, yeah, you, you, you end up making so much, uh, some, so many expenses. Okay, very good. And Mike, can you tell us a little bit more about Lend EDU? Because I guess you're not the only portal uh, for comparison in the US. So, what would you say makes Lend EDU unique or special? Why should any, every American go to Lend EDU instead of another uh, portal? Yeah, um, great question. So, I think one of the things that really makes us unique is we have a great blog. That's completely free to the everyday consumer, and we're po we post. Um, I think maybe I forget the exact amount, but we post a lot of articles. And now we have over there's almost two thousand articles in our blog, and it covers a wide spectrum of personal finance topics. So we have hundreds of articles on on every type of financial product, whether that be student loans or mortgages, or pet insurance, or credit cards. So we have all those articles, and a lot of them are great resources. We have commentary from financial experts in each category. So I think our blog is something that really separates us from a lot mm -hmm. of the competition. Um, it's just very, it's very robust, and there's a lot of information on there that you can access completely for free um, and with the click of a few buttons. So I think that's one of the things that really makes us great. And then another thing is... Um, Many of us actually, we all, many of us went to the same college, University of Delaware. So we do have a uh, camaraderie and a close bond. And many of us also have or had student loan debt. So we can, you know, sympathize with what a lot of people are going through with their student loan debt. So I think that gives us a, you know, a personal touch that maybe a lot of companies don't have. Yeah, proximity, camaraderie among yourself. And uh, yeah, and then the blog, which is uh, adding a lot of value to, to the audience, actually. Yeah, excellent. And Mike, when you graduated, I mean, was it your goal to um, go to this company, Lend EDU, I mean, to a startup? Or did you start your career uh, in some bigger company? Yeah, um, so another great question. And when I graduated, um, I kind of wasn't sure really what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And for a couple months, I was working at a, um, a software coding recruiting firm in New York City. And I wasn't really having fun there or enjoying the work I was doing. So I left um, that company and then I was 
in the hunt for a new job and you know from college one of my great skills is writing and writing objectively and you know telling stories with words so um, I was looking in something a job that would you know where I could magnify that and uh I was actually I was going to accept the job at um Business Insider a very big company when Nate approached me about working at LendyDU doing kind of the same thing that I would have been doing at Business Insider and um, for me, at least, it was really no brainer to come and work at a startup. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just in terms, uh, in terms of working at a startup versus a larger company, I think it's a lot more fun. Um, I'm working with a lot of cool people and cool colleagues, and uh, we make work fun every day. Whereas sometimes, if you go to a big corporation, it's kind of a, a strict, rigid um, company culture, and you know, there's a dress code and all that. So we don't have any of that here. And then I'm doing things at this company that I would never have been doing at a 500, 1,000 employee company um, just because, you know, my role has expanded because we're only about 10 people at this company. So everyone needs to take on uh, a large load of work. And um, I'm doing things like talking to executives and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post that I never probably would have been doing right now at this point had I gone to a bigger company and kind of just been another uh, cog in the wheel, if you will. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because yeah, in those larger companies, yeah, the one that speaks to the press, it's the communications, the CEOs, the right. top management, and then to be that level, I mean, you need to have like fifteen, twenty more years of experience. So, and now you get to do that uh, four years um, after graduating, which is awesome. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely uh, something that not a lot of people can say they do. And it's something that's giving me a lot of experience. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, in life after Lendy do you, I'll have an impressive, impressive experiences to to, uh, fall back on in my job search. Mm -hmm. And you were not concerned um, joining a startup. I mean, the, about the financial risk, you never know. I mean, maybe it, uh, it vanishes in, uh, in two years or, uh, you, you never know about the potential, you know, until it has shown a consistent result in a couple of years or growth. Right. That's true. And that's definitely an ex- exciting aspect of it is that you can grow with the company as it grows as well. Mm-hmm. No, very good. And, uh, yeah, so congratulations on that. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure you, you're accomplishing a lot because so now you work as a research analyst, but you, you also have kind of commercial roles. So it's, it's really uh, an overall role, actually. Yeah, um, my official title is research analyst, but mm-hmm. I think it's, it's more of like a communications and public relations type role. So at the core of my job description is, um, you know, creating data-driven studies um, based on surveys that we administer or publicly available data that we analyze. Um, and we like to tell unique personal finance stories with this data and try to identify emerging trends. Um, so I create these reports and do all the analysis and um, create all the graphics for it. And then I do all of the pitching to the media and our media outreach, hoping that the larger media outlets will pick up our data and our analysis and our studies. Um, and then I communicate with them and, you know, do interviews much like this one or provide quotes and try to get Lendy to you in the media. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty, um, all encompassing role when it comes to 
<clears throat> the media and um, the writing of the stories. Yeah. Well, fantastic. And uh, I don't know if it's confidential or not, but uh, what are the, the next, uh, I mean, the, the plans for Lend EDU in the coming years? How do you plan to expand and grow? Um, really just to come on, keep on doing what we've been doing and, uh, keep on, you know, putting our head down and working hard and trying to continue to build out our verticals like, uh, student loan refinancing and home equity loans and mortgages and, uh, hopefully keep on growing so that, you know, we can hire more people yeah, and sure. then mm -hmm. scale the business, uh, larger. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, look, Mike, I think we're uh, coming at the end of the show. And what we do uh, with every guest uh, here is that we ask three quick fire questions. So my first quick fire question to you, uh, Mike, is what has been your best investment so far? Yeah, so mine would be more of like a personal investment in, in myself. And that would be um, trying to get outdoors as much as possible and, you know, go on hikes and something I've been doing a lot in the last year, year and a half, um, just a couple of months ago, I was actually took a trip to Yellowstone national park, which was an amazing experience. And I'd say probably at least once a week, probably every other week I go out on hikes out in nature. And it's just a really good time for me and a good investment in myself, not only because of the uh, physical exercise, but it's a great time to kind of clear my head and yeah, sure. think out loud. And, you know, today with, all the screens and all the distractions we have, it's a good time to leave my phone at home and try to just clear my head. Um, yeah, so I've been doing that a lot lately and it's been rewarding. Oh, excellent, excellent. And uh, Mike, second question, what is the best book uh, you can recommend to anyone and it does not need to be financial? Yeah, um, so mine is not financial and it's a book called Make Your Bed Every Morning. And it's by a former admiral in the United States Navy. And it was based on a speech he gave at a graduating college campus ceremony. And basically, it's basically what he says is, you know, the first thing you should do every morning is make your bed and make it well. And then because that's the you've accomplished your first task of the day and you've nailed your first goal of the day. And that will put you on the right road to accomplishing further tasks that day and that week and that year and so on. So, um, it's a great book. It's, uh, it's a motivational book and it's short and easy to read. And he also incorporates some stories and experiences he had from being in the Navy SEALs. So, uh, yeah, that's one that sits close by me. And, uh, whenever you need a little pick me up, it's a great book to read. Okay. Excellent. I'll, uh, I'll definitely have a look. And then, uh, yeah, then the last question is, um, wait, what was my last question again? Yes. <laughs> so my last question, uh, Mike, is what is the best purchase uh, you've made for under $100? Yeah. Um, so mine was a Sonicare electric toothbrush. Um, <laughs> okay. I've long since graduated from the days of you know, using the manual toothbrush. I love it. I think it's only about 50 bucks and it's got a timer on it. So it doesn't turn off until two minutes and every 30 seconds it beeps. So, you know, you know where to brush for every 30 seconds. And, um, it's been great. So my dentist doesn't yell at me at me as much anymore. It's improving my teeth and it's a great investment and it's lasting me for like four years now. So, uh, yeah, purchase under a hundred dollars and electric toothbrush. 
Yeah, why not? You know, like uh, brushing teeth is important, just as making your bed. So exactly. And if uh, thanks to this uh, electric toothbrush, it makes it easier. Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm still old school. I'm I'm uh, using the normal uh, toothbrush, and I get a dentist in the family. So. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So it's good. Uh, very good. So, Mike, thanks uh, again so much for this interview. And uh, I think it was quite helpful and uh, for me to understand a bit uh, how it works in the U.S. with student loans, but as well for the listeners to give some tips on uh, what to look out for, for student loans, for mortgages, the pitfalls and the, I mean, the pros and cons of um, uh, 15 and uh, 30 years mortgages. And as well, yeah, uh, to... If people want to take care of their pets and uh, yeah, maybe they should look into uh, pet insurance and uh, it's getting popular. So uh, definitely uh, yeah, good to save some money on uh, taking care of your uh, loved pets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure talking with you and talking through all those different financial topics. Um, had a lot of fun. And um, hope to do it again soon. Yeah, sure, sure. Of, of course. And Mike, where can uh, the, the listeners find you, actually? So, of course, Lendy.du, that's an obvious one. But do you have any social media where people can follow you or anything else? Yeah, so um, I have a LinkedIn. It's You'll probably find it by typing in Michael Brown uh, and then probably just typing in Lendy.du or something. So I have a LinkedIn and... Uh, I post some stuff on LinkedIn every now and then about some studies that Lendy2U has done or some media or some media mentions where Lendy2U was talked about. So that's a great place to follow us. And then Lendy2U, we also have a Twitter, um, at GoLendy2U. Mm-hmm. And we're always posting on there, you know, examples of our studies and personal finance tips. Yeah, excellent. And uh, yeah, I've, I'm following that account as well, which is quite good. And you always uh, try to interact and ask uh, good questions to do, to the audience, uh, on to, I mean, to the followers on Twitter. So it's quite good. So I'll link it all up in the show notes. And then, uh, yeah, Mike, thanks once again. And we'll speak next time. Yes, definitely. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something from it. And before we close the show, here are the key takeaways of this episode. Regarding student loans and mortgages, Refinancing is an option to lower your monthly repayments or shortening your loan term, for example. However, as Mike said, yeah, check if it it is right for you. And uh, a great tip that Mike gave is um, that regarding student loans, it's good to wait a few years after you enter the workforce to give you time to build up a better income and improve your financial situation overall. This is how you will be able to uh, really benefit from refinancing, for example. And it's the same for a house. I mean, if you wait for a few years and your home goes up in value, you will have build up equity, which which will make it easy for a bank to refinance your mortgage. Uh, Next, here are some tips from Mike for reducing your student loan debts. This applies, of course, for the listeners in the US. So number one, apply for scholarships and grants before applying for a student loan. Uh, Secondly, Depending on the profession you will practice, uh, there may be some student loan forgiveness programs. So make sure you check that out uh, if you can apply, if you're eligible for those uh, programs. And third, he didn't give it directly, but it's something I noted down myself. Well, as he said, well, companies in the U.S. are starting to help employees to pay off their student loan debts. So, yeah, it could be an idea to include that perk uh, in your salary negotiations next time you uh, apply for a job or a uh, Yeah, maybe in your yearly salary negotiations, why not, you know? If you don't ask, you do not get. (laughs) 
third takeaway, well, the mistakes to avoid when uh, contracting a student loan or a mortgage is to re yeah, uh, really read the fine print and make sure you fully understand the terms. Huh? What is the repayment length? Is the rate fixed or variable, etc., etc. And I think there is much more information on the LendEDU uh, website. So make sure you check them out. Next, see the home you're taking a mortgage on through the lens of an investor. Is it well located? What is the crime rate? Is there easy access to schools, public transport, etc.? All these factors will help your home increase in value over time or build up equity. And this will make it easy for uh, refinancing at a later stage, actually. And last but not least, the career question. Should you work at a startup or a larger corporation? Well, I'll leave that up to you. There are pros and cons for both. Larger companies can feel more rigid and less flexible, and maybe there's a dress code, as uh, Mike mentioned. It, it really depends, of course, and some larger companies have still this kind of uh, entrepreneurial spirit that you can develop. It really depends on uh, which company. And of course, a startup is uh, more entrepreneurial because you're starting up a, a new business, so it can be quite exciting. In a startup company, there can be a high workload as you juggle between your own role and several additional ones. I mean, for example, in the case of Mike, I mean, he's doing communications on top of research analyst. So, so he combines these roles. But as well, it's an opportunity to gain a lot of experience, which you may not always have access to in a larger firm. And of course, in, uh, in the case of Mike, in the case of Len EDU, which started, uh, what, like five, six years ago, there's a high rewarding part of growing with the company. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.